Well, guys, you asked for it. So here he is, the man who beat Tyron Woodley last weekend in a statement performance, then followed it up with a personal call from the president himself, Colby Chaos Cunnington, at long last, back on his second home. Look, at Submission Radio, how are you, man? Taking a call right now with the red phone. It's good to be back, boys. You know, we got we got to make Submission Radio great again today. Well, it's great to be great with Colby Covington on the show. And, man, listen, first of all, congrats on the win because after all these years of trash talk and back and forth and build up with the fight, how satisfying was it for you to get that win and be time Woodley and also do it in the fashion that you did it in? And what was bigger for you, the win itself or that unbe unbelievably crazy moment of you putting the president on loudspeaker and speaking to him afterwards? Yeah, you know, it goes back to, you know, my motto and the way I live and the way our great president of America, Donald Trump, lives. Promises made, promises kept. And that's exactly what I did, boys. I went out there and did exactly what I said I was going to do. If you guys saw all the media that I did, which wasn't very much in the lead up to the fight, I said, hey, if I if he doesn't if Tyrell Woodley doesn't leave the octagon in a stretcher, then I didn't do my job. And that's exactly what happened. I, you know, I left him in a stretcher. He was on a stretcher out of the octagon backstage. But let me tell you one thing. I did some bad, horrible things to Woodley. I left. He had to leave on a stretcher. Jorge Masvidal is leaving in a body bag when we fight. I promise you that. And and what was a bigger moment? I would definitely say the president of the free world, the greatest living American, the greatest president of all time, Donald Trump, calling me after my fight was a way bigger, you know, feather in my cap than, than beating Woodley and doing something I already knew I was going to do. There was nothing Woodley could do to stop me, and he knew that. That's why he avoided me so long. That fight would go the same way 100 out of 100 times. Didn't matter if it was 10 years ago, two years ago, and two years from now, it was always going to be the same outcome. Me retiring Tyrone Woodley and, you know, getting to talk to the greatest president of all time, Donald Trump. I'm also wondering, man, I mean, you've spoken to us about the humble begin beginnings that you went through, you know, sort of not coming from a wealthy place and, and going through the stuff that you went through with your family, then going through and wrestling and going through all this stuff just to make it to American top team. And then going through the UFC, fighting the toughest guys. And then remember, you used to talk to us about, oh, the UFC are just sending me around the world, making me fight these guys. And, you know, we used to always talk about, hey, you know, one day the title shot, one day this, one day that. There you were on ESPN, speaking to the president i mean what, what did your family say what was your mom's reaction and i mean was a part of you thinking back to those origin days of you sort of starting out and hoping that hey one day i could be a fighter of this magnitude that this kind of stuff would happen to me you know since i was a little kid who grew up in, in a small town in oregon you know no one ever made it out as an athlete or you know ever to do big business ventures you know, I always had those dreams and goals, though. I always told my mom when I was a little kid, told my dad, five, six years old, Mom, I'm going to be a world champion someday. I'm going to be the best at what I do. I'm going to be the greatest wrestler, the greatest fighter the world has ever seen. And now I'm here, you know, and, and, and I knew, always knew I was going to be here. I, I believed in my journey. I believed in the process. And, you know, I trusted God's timing for me. And so, you know, I know that it's my time now, and I know that the best is yet to come for me, you know. Getting a call from the president was amazing. You know, being the only fighter in the history of this company to ever go to the White House that was amazing, you know, getting the first family, you know, making history as being the first fighter to bring the first family front row of a fight. That was amazing. Being the history of my last fight, what I did to Woodley in that fourth round, what I get like 130 strikes to two outstruck him, you know, that's got to be history, you know, and finishing him. No one finished Tyrone Woodley like I just did. You know, he got beat by decision a couple of times, but no one's finished him, made him quit. 
made him scream for his life life to tap out and have to leave the octagon and a stretcher. So, you know, this is just all destiny, and, th and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it, and Jorge Masvidal knows that. He's, he knows there's nothing he can do to stop it. Dana White wants this fight. I want this fight. The fans want this fight. You know, Jorge Masvidal, Street Judas, was talking a big game. He was writing checks with his mouth, but his ass can't cash. We know what's going to happen when we step in the octagon, but we'll see if he assigns a contract someday because – I don't know. I think his fans are going to find out his 15 seconds of fame are up and he doesn't want to get exposed. And, you know, he's a coward. He's going to avoid this fight. And uh, definitely going to touch on that fight in just a second. I'm, I'm also wondering, I mean, I think a lot of people when they see you fight and they see the domination that you put on in that octagon and also your persona out there, they can never imagine that a guy like yourself would go through adversity and, and, and have tough times and figure out ways to get through to the next. And I remember you even used to tell us when you and Jorge were friends how you guys used to wrestle on the floor of the apartment and fight and talk about the big days when you eventually would fight, which looks like it's right around the corner. But I'm just wondering, what were some of those sort of adversities and some of those times in your life that you can think back to where you thought, man, maybe this thing won't, won't come together, man, maybe... You know, some of the some of the hurdles that you had to go through just to get to this point to speak to us right now in the position that you're in. Yeah, you know, I went through those at a, a young, early age. You know, my mom was a single mother at the time. She had to work three jobs just to just to put food on the table for us so we could live in a tiny one bedroom apartment and in the trailer parks with me and my sister. So, you know, I knew what tough was like and growing up through high school, through college, not ever having money and then getting out of college and being a pro broke college student in debt and having to sacrifice, giving my all to this career MMA. You know, I put mm. all my eggs in this basket. It wasn't like, Hey, if, if I lose, if, if it doesn't come together and I don't make money in this career, it's not like I can go do anything else. I didn't have a fallback plan. I didn't have, you know, something else I could go do. You know, I gave everything to fight and I always believed that I never gave up even through the six years that I first started out here in Florida training MMA out of college and not having, you know, any money to my name, having to run to the gym sometimes every day in the rain and be soaking wet going into practice. But I never, I never doubted myself. You know, I trusted God's plan. I kept working unbelievably hard. And I just, the biggest thing was just self-belief and, and, and I earned it every single day. And I didn't put my head down and cry about my situation or complain and just be like, oh, you know, I want things handed to me. No, I was the blue collared American that went out there and grabbed things. And that's why I'm here where I am today. And there's nothing anybody can do to stop me. Mm. There's this great video online where um, a guy comes up to you and, and you give him this really good advice about, you know, how to make it and some of the stuff that worked for you. Do you know the video that I'm talking about? It was circulating online. I think it was, a fan must have taken it. I don't know if you know that it was taken, but you were really nice to this guy, basically. And you, you really took your time and really gave, gave, him, gave him your time and really some great advice. So I'm just... Wondering quickly, for people listening right now, there's a lot of adversity going around. What is your advice for someone right now starting out at MMA who thinks, hey, I don't know if I can do this or not? What, what, what are, what's a good piece of advice from Colby Covington that they could sort of use? I would just always say to believe in yourself wholeheartedly and, and don't ever have not doubts or, or be negative. You know, I mean, of course, you know, you can't think so far ahead to you know, oh, I want to be here someday, years, you got to just take it one step at a time, one training at a time. And, and, you know, you're going to take some losses, you're going to take some lumps. But if you keep coming back, you keep believing in your dreams, and you keep working hard for them, anything in life is possible. And, and I'm a true testament to that I, I went out and got something in life that everybody told me I shouldn't have never gotten and you should never be there. But I went and did it because I never stopped believing I never kept working for it. And, 
You know, it's just, it's all part of the plan. Mm. I've got one more thing. And by the way, that's great advice, Colby. Just one more thing on, on Woodley. You know, in the lead up to the fight, you obviously had a, a lot of war of words and bad blood. And it seems like you never pulled any punches. After the fight, though, a lot of people were saying that Woodley should retire. Dana White was saying that he should retire. What I found interesting is that you didn't say that. And you actually said he was a great champion and that he's earned the right to sort of choose whatever he does in his career. I'm just curious. Why why, why did you choose to do that? Uh, it seemed like it would have been very easy for you to just say, yep, retire, end his career there. You know, he, he's a former champion in the sport. You know, he, he's reached the highest of levels. Uh, you know, he just he just so happened to run into the greatest fighter in the world right now, Colby Chaos Covington. So, you know, I can't fault him for losing and getting finished by me. You know, he's still got fight left in him. You know, he could still knock out anybody in the world, still has a high pedigree. So, you know, I don't want to jump on that bad wagon too quick. And, and especially because he's only 38 years young. You know, you got guys like Daniel Cormier who are fighting until their mid-40s. You know, Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, some of these great American fighters that, that fought into their forties. So if he wants to go in and cash in some paychecks, go do it, man. You, you got a, you got a great resume on your hands, but you know, you just got added to my resume. So, uh, you know, of course everybody's going to try and downplay you and, and, and kick you, kick you while you're down, but you know, go get your money, brother. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's obviously something that's very classy. Before we talk the whole Masvidal thing, obviously something we've got to bring up. Uh, we're not a politics show, so we don't talk politics on this show. But obviously part of the aftermath of your performance were sort of the comments that you made about, you know, Woodley and the BLM movement. I'm just curious and I wanted to sort of, you know, allow you to address it. Did you make any, well, what did you make of the reaction, the notion that, you know, some of the comments are racist? Is there any concern on your part ever that trash talk, you know, could lead to somebody getting hurt out of the cage? And how did you sort of process the, the general reaction, you know, after the fight and after, you know, everything that happened? Okay, well, first off, I didn't say anything that the that the BLM website doesn't already advertise. They advertise that they're a Marxist group. They advertise that they're a communist group. It's on their webpage. So it's not like I said anything that wasn't already stated and what they're trying to get their point across as, you know. They're they're a domestic terrorist group. They're a Marxist group. They they don't want equality. They want anarchy. They're burning and looting our American businesses. They're 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 killing people. They're they're just putting innocent people's lives in danger. And and for what? You know, for what purpose? You know, they don't have an actual purpose. You know, they're just they're trying to they're being led by Democrats. They're being led by Joe Biden, and they're they're fighting for a cause that is non-existent. I mean, where does the Black Lives Matter checks and and donations go to? It goes to funding a Democrat uh, Democrat uh, president. So they don't even know what they're fighting for. And and then all the people that are coming out getting the backlash for. Look at the people that the journal, the so-called MMA journalists are reporting on. They're asking a guy from London. They're asking a guy from Nigeria. They're asking a guy from wherever, some other another other country. But you know that's not even American politics. You're not even asking people that are in America and know anything about America. So, you know, the backlash was not warranted. I got to say, big respect to Dana White for not bowing to the woke mob. Dana White is the only commissioner that doesn't try and force an agenda down your throat. Like basketball, NFL, they're trying to force a one-sided agenda down your throat. They want the, the woke mob. They want to force their politics down your throat, and you have to accept it. And if you don't, then we're not going to pay you. Dana White's not like that. He's not trying to limit my free speech. This is America. We have freedoms in America. And, you know, he's not telling me what I should and shouldn't do, and he's okay with which way I want to go. And that's what I love most about Dana White and the UFC as a whole, because they don't 
limit their fighters' freedom of speech and they don't take away our rights. They let us be who we want to be. There's nothing that I said was racist and there's nothing that I did that was racist. End of story. Next question. One of the guys that uh, sort of took issue with your comments and challenged you to a fight in December is Leon Edwards. And I'm just wondering, how do you respond to that challenge and him sort of saying that he wants to fight you next? That's crazy. You guys are talking about Street Judas Masvidal. You know, we have such a built-up animosity, you know, being best friends. You know, he was writing all these checks, you know, his ass can't cash, talking all this shit, saying, Colby, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you like this. You know, all the heated drama we had at our old gym. And it's just, you know, this needs to be settled, man. We're the top fighters in the world. You know, his hype is coming to an end, and I want to be the one to put it to an end. So, you know, I'm sick of him, you know, talking to the media and not having to account for his words. So unless I'm fighting Street Judas or I'm getting a rematch for my title that I rightfully deserve and got cheated out of out of by Mark Not-So-Goddard, then, you know, I'm not doing anything, boys. That's, that's all I've earned, and that's what I deserve. I'm the greatest fighter in the world right now. doesn't matter who they put in that octagon against me. I will get my hand raised. Mm. It's interesting, actually, bringing up Jorge, because uh, initially he was targeted to do this BMF rematch with Nate Diaz. And now Dana White, even on the press conference just yesterday, said, hey, we are looking at this Colby-Jorge fight. So what, what's your reaction to sort of people saying and believing that, hey, Nate is still in the play here? What can you tell us? Is Nate still in the play? Has the UFC offered you this fight? Where are we at in terms of negotiations for it? Yeah, Dana White came up to me after my fight immediately and said, hey, we want to do you versus Street Judas Masvidal. I said, I accepted right on the on, on that night, on, in that minute. So he knows I'm on board. The UFC knows I'm on board. Now it's just about getting Street Judas Masvidal on board. That guy's scared. He's scared of my shadow. If my shadow was around him, he'd be running. So who knows if he'll show up to the octagon. You know, I definitely, I don't want to have to beat him up in the streets of Miami because I am the king of Miami. I am Donald Trump's favorite fighter, but I don't want to beat him up in the streets of Miami, guys, because... If I beat him up there, no one's going to pay his hospital bills. At least if I go out there and expose him in front of the world in the UFC octagon on live television, then he'll get his, his hospital and medical bills paid for. You know, the thing is, is Corey's going to have to show up to fight me one day. You know, he's got to pay his, his ex-wife's uh, lawyer fees. He's got to pay alimony payments. You know, he's got some other payments he's got to pay. So he's going to be broke soon. He's going to come running to daddy. And he knows he's the only money fight he's getting is me. I'm his money fight. That other fight that they're trying to do with that soy boy, they're not trying to do that fight. That's just a fight he's begging for because he won it one-sided, and now he's looking for an easy fight. So th this is the fight that's being presented to him. That's the only fight that should be made, and it's the biggest fight probably they can make in the UFC right now. It's a pay-per-view main event. It's a five-rounder. You know, it's an exciting fire, uh, matchup with fireworks on the line. You know, I'm not going to be looking to dance on his feet like Marty Fake Newsman did. I'm going to be looking to dance on his face, break his face, and he's leaving that octagon in a body bag. Mark my words. Well, that's interesting. So just to clarify, so this would be a pay-per-view main event. Because I was going to ask, you know, if, if it was, say, on a, on a pay-per-view card, if it was on the undercard, it would only be three rounds. If it was a fight night main event, at least we get five rounds. But you're saying this would be a pay-per-view main event, right? Yeah, it's got to be a pay-per-view main event. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We're two of the biggest draws in the company and and we're just so happen to be in the same weight class and it just so happens to be we used to be best friends we used to live together train together every single day there you know there's there's documentaries on youtube of us hanging out together living the life together training together i mean we train at every opportunity we got we train in the apartment together in the bathrooms everywhere we just love to train but you know he's also lazy too and he, he he didn't like to train anymore and that's why he wanted to backstab me and be the judas he is and turn his back on me so you know, this fight's going to be exciting. I mean, I, 
I think the best place to propose it for would be for American Airlines Arena in Miami, Florida. You know, I think that would be a great ticket. And hopefully by the time fans come back, December, January, it's just perfect. It, it lines perfectly. And, and there's a big market for MMA in Miami. So people want to see fighting in Miami. And I think the UFC needs to come back to Miami. Wow, I think given the the magnitude of the rivalry and the fact that it's kind of all centered around Miami, I think that'd be a, a sort of perfect idea. Um, I'm just curious sort of how, how sort of far talks are with the UFC and if, if this is sort of, you know, getting off the ground. And are you concerned at all that this fight might not come together? Do you think Masvidal's team is sort of interested? I know they were targeting that Diaz fight. Uh, you know, the talks have been great. I, I Like I said, I agreed on the night that I fought Woodley and, and retired Woodley that night and left him in a stretcher to the hospital. You know, I, I, I agreed right away. Uh, I said, Dana, let's do it. I want to sign it up. You know, the terms are pretty much done. We're ready to go. So it's all in, in, in street Judas Masvidal's court. You know, he knows he doesn't want this fight because he knows what's going to happen deep down inside. And he can say whatever he want. You know, he said a lot of stuff before, but if you guys didn't notice, you should look at him now. He's silent. He's got no, nothing to say because he knows what's coming now. He knows what's in front of him. And, you know, he knows he's going to get embarrassed in front of the world. He's going to get hurt. He's not going to look recognizable to his kids anymore. His kids are never going to look at him the same again. They're going to call me his daddy after I'm finished with him because I am Jorge Masvidal's daddy. It's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, it, the team has to agree to the fight because a lot of people are saying, you know, why would Masvidal agree to the fight right now? There's no title on the line. Nate Diaz is arguably an easier fight for him. Let's say he doesn't agree to the fight. What would your stance be then? What would your next play be? Would you be looking to just sit out and wait until this title fight happens? What, what would you do as a plan B? I mean, if, if he sits out and he, and he turns his back away from the only fight that's being presented to him because there's not another fight being presented to him, then the fans are going to find out how much of a coward he really is and how much of a pussy he is. So, you know, he'll get exposed for that, and that'll be worth the weight in gold that it is in itself. The fact that he ran from me like the little bitch that he is, talked all that shit, but now he ain't got nothing to say. Now he doesn't want to come see me in the octagon because he knows, he knows what's going to happen. So, you know, that'll be pretty satisfying if he runs from me and ducks from me because all the fans will know he's a little bitch and a pussy. And, and then, you know, I'll just have to pivot back to my title fight. You know, I, I, I'm owed a rematch, and I want my rematch, and it doesn't matter which order it goes in, but Street Judas... And Marty Fake Newsman will get their ass beat. I promise you. Colby 2.0 is here. I was playing with you guys before. I'm not playing no more. Now I'm fucking serious. And you're seeing the serious Colby 2.0 coming. Mm. We, we, you obviously spoke about the battles that you used to have with Tyron Woodley in training and how you used to beat him. And then we saw what happened in the fight. And you've spoken to us about some of the uh, sparring that you've had with Jorge all over the place. What would you, where, where would you say you were more dominant? In those sparring sessions with Tyron Woodley or in those sparring sessions with Jorge Masvidal? Oh, 100% with my sparring sessions with Street Judas, Jorge Masvidal. I mean, they were violent. You know, he was unconscious multiple times. You know, I left Woodley in a pool of his blood and, and unconscious once or twice, but Jorge Masvidal, it, it was 10 times the, the effect on him. I mean, he's just the easier fighter. He's a little guy. You know, he's got no heart. You know, he's a front runner. I know how he fights, you know, and, and he's emotional more importantly. So it would be so violent. I feel so bad he'd have to leave in a body bag. Well, no, I wouldn't feel bad because he's a piece of shit person. He's a dirt bag and he did turn his back on me for no reason. So, uh, you know, I promise you it's going to be violent. It's going to be nasty. And he knows that that's why he's not saying anything. And he's probably going to avoid this fight as long as he can.
Mm. I know that uh, you've obviously got your eyes on Masvidal. That's the main target for you or the title fight. But I wanted to sort of address something. Uh, Hamzat Shemaev is someone who's obviously been rising through the ranks. And he called out just about everybody in the division, including yourself. I'm just wondering if you saw that and um, what you've thought of him so far. I don't even know who that is, man. I, I, I remember they, someone saying that there was some kid on my prelims that, that was fighting and, you know, he had a bunch of hype on him. He hadn't fought anybody in the that's ranked in the top 50 in the world. And, you know, they didn't even bring me into the building before, like, the last, the co-main event. So, you know, I didn't see the prelims and, and this kid that you talk of. But, you know, if he gets some rank wins and, you know, he becomes somebody, come see me. I'm, I'm the greatest fighter in the world. I'm not, I'm not looking to avoid anybody. I'm looking to beat everybody and anybody in the way. So... Anybody that you know that you want to bring the hype machine behind these kids and and think they're they're great and they can do this and that, that hype machine will get halted in a second if they come see Colby Chaos Covington. I got dragon energy, boys. I don't know if you guys know about dragon energy, but I'm telling you, when you get to hang out with the Trumps, go backstage, be at their rally, uh, you know, get a phone call after my fight and just have such a good personal connection and close relationship to the Trump family, you know, the greatest living family in America. It just gives you this certain energy, and it's called dragon energy, and it just—it's unstoppable. I don't care who you are. You, can, you know, I could be fighting Hulk, King Kong, you know, whoever. It doesn't matter. When you have dragon energy, you're an unstoppable force. I know you got the dragon energy. You got bang energy as well, right there on the table. Appreciate your time, Cobby. We'll let you go in a second. Uh, but I also wanted to ask you because I know that you do a lot of stuff with obviously mybookie.ag. I know you like to make the money on bets. Uh, UFC 253 happened yesterday, and I'm curious, did you make some cash off my bookie, and uh, what did you think of the way Israel Adesanya was able to handle Paulo Costa? Is it is it basically how you expected it going? Uh, you know, I, to be honest, guys, I, w I didn't watch the fights last night. I had some better things to do with some of my mamacitas in South Beach. Uh, but, you know, I, I always recommend people to, to bet the fights, to to bet the woke sports, you know, it just sucks. I feel bad for the people because they don't want to bet on that spineless coward LeBron James. You know, the guy who's, you know, he, he won't say free Hong Kong. He won't say, say you know, he won't talk about the slave labor that he uses in, in China with the, the women he has working in his sweatshops to make his apparel and then sell to his fans, you know, who have these sweatshops and these women working for dollars but then send, selling their jerseys for hundreds of dollars to their his so-called fans. So... You know, I feel bad for all the people that are being duped by LeBron James and his Marxist and communist movement. And, uh, you know, I just hope, but hopefully you guys made your bank counts great again because my bookie AG was given a risk free $20 bet. Just use Colby20 as your promo code. And, you know, let's keep getting rich and making our bank accounts great again, everybody. As, as people use that promo code, I'm just wondering, where do you stand? on this Justin Gaethje Khabib fight. This is a big betting fight that I bet a lot of people are gonna be using your promo code for. And you were with Justin at the, at the at the Trump rally. You must have some inside information. Uh, you know, it's it, it's tough to say. I, I really don't know. I think there'll be a good fight. Uh, you know, it's good for, uh, for Justin. You know, he's looked good lately, you know, but I don't know, he fights recklessly and, and, but you know, he's got the good wrestling accolades to maybe stop Khabib. You know, I know Khabib doesn't want to come up to 170 and face a guy like me because he knows he can't take me down and then he's just going to get outstruck. And so this will be the first test he has with the guy who can actually wrestle. And it should be interesting. So, you know, how, but how about on the reverse side of that? Justin's manager and Khabib's manager, he's going to double dip in that main event to get, you know, some money in his pocket. How about how funny is that guy? Ali Abdelaziz, he comes out this week in supporting of the Black Lives Matter movement 
and you know all the people that were trying to cancel me and all the woke mob that was coming out saying I was racist and that Black Lives Matter and he's coming out in support of the Black Lives Matter but when I looked over when he was a couple seats down from me at the president's rally and the Black Lives Matter came in and they were raising their flag he was screaming I'm boo fuck you get out of here boo so how funny is that? Ali Abdelaziz is once again a two-faced motherfucker and just a dirtbag in general, always playing both sides of the fence. What was it like for you guys being so close to each other? It's crazy looking at that photo, seeing you on one side, him on the other side. I imagine you guys were kind of in pretty close proximity, uh, you know, for most of the day. And then we all know what happened at the Palms Buffet. What, what was it like being so close to Ali that day? Yeah, it was hilarious because, you know, he had one of his little fighters come up to me, you know, the and just tell him, you know, try and get peace. Hey, man, Ollie's going to be a cool if you're cool. <laughs> and I'm just laughing. I'm like, I wouldn't care if he wasn't cool. What's he going to do to me? I'm the best fighter in the world. I'll, you know, he can't do anything to me. I'll put, I'll dump him on his head and leave him unconscious if I needed to. But, you know, I did it for the president. You know, I respected him. I respected Dana White because he brought them there. I'm not going to put them in jeopardy. They know I'm a true professional and company man. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, they kept him a safe away distance away that, you know, I, I didn't have to worry about anything or, or anything. And, and, you know, he's just he's just a two-faced person. He's a hypocrite. And it's just, I, I think people, he's getting exposed every single day and people are seeing his true colors. And, you know, he's just, he's not a good human being. And, and that's my biggest thing in, in this game is that, you know, I, I'm exposing the evil and the bad people and, it, and it's good versus evil. And that's what this fight's all about. All right. Well, the big fight could possibly happen with Jorge Masvidal in December, January at the American Airlines uh, Center over there in Florida, Miami. Uh, Colby, we appreciate you coming into the program. Of course, follow the man at Colby Cov MMA and ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash uh, Colby Cov MMA. Look at that T-shirt. Look at that, man. Thank you so much for coming on to Submission Radio, man. We appreciate you. Good talking to you, boys. Have a great night. I'll talk to you soon.